am I? Why am I here? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Tear down this wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. We're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. From the second floor of the AC building at Bethel University, it's election shock therapy. Post midterm hangover. I was going to say we're back, but we're tired. Is we're what back. We tired. are tired. We're not. We're not um, hungover from consumption of alcohol. This is Bethel, after all. Right. Uh, but um, yeah, it was a late night. Lack of sleep and a, lot, a series of micropods that became increasingly incoherent as the night went on. <laughs> I'm uh, sure we're, they were brilliant. We're uh, in a fugue state sort of way. Yes, I am. I'm your host, uh, um, Kleenex Stephen Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just leave that there without explanation. Yep. Sounds I, good. I'm Sam Mulberry. <laughs> I'm Andy Bramson. Uh, Metro Crumb. And guys, uh, we've had just a few hours now to see a few more returns. We can say a couple more definitives. Although even at this point, we still don't know the exact composition nope. of the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate. Right. But things are falling into place. And narratives are starting to be spun. And now is the time for us to step back a little bit from the... Um, the who wons and who lost, or even more important, or like sort of like the immediate returns. Although we should reflect on a few of those things, and talk about what 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 political science says about this election, what mm-hmm. get, what it gets mm-hmm. right, maybe what it gets wrong, mm-hmm. and um, see if there's some overarching themes. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's start uh, with the headlines uh, in the House. Uh, Democrats have taken back control of the U.S. House. Right. So the, to, to put this in the grimmest possible terms for Democrats, they now control one half of one third of the U.S. government. <laughs> right. Um, Congratulations. Thanks for turning it into a math problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all too tired to think about that. But I mean, but 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 in a real way, uh, this does put a significant impediment to any kind of a legislative agenda that Donald Trump would want to pursue mm-hmm. in his second two right. years in office. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to imagine. Well, th- well actually, well, I'll leave it open and say, are there, are there scenarios in which there are legislative accomplishments in these next two years? In, on the other hand, in the Senate, uh, Republicans made gains in the Senate. Mm-hmm. Uh, we knew mm-hmm. that yeah. uh, going forward that this was going to be a tough map for Democrats to make inroads in. Right. But uh, with the unpopularity of the president and the generic ballot being favorable to Democrats, the thought was, well, maybe they could at least hold their seats. And as it turned out, they couldn't hold them all. So. Yeah. Republicans went from having a two-vote majority in the Senate to probably something more like a five-vote majority in the mm-hmm. Senate uh, when all the dust is cleared. Maybe a six-vote majority. Mm-hmm. And um, we're still waiting on a couple races to be called. Right. Governorships, Republicans, again, Democrats made gains in governorships, but mm-hmm. they also didn't make as many as they thought they were going to. Right. And notably, a few of the seats they really expected to win didn't pan out in their favor. How, how significant ones, is yeah. it that they lost some high-profile governor's races as opposed to just the sheer numbers of it? So like Georgia, Florida, uh, Ohio. I think it really does matter because if you think about those states mm-hmm. you just mentioned, those states will probably figure prominently in upcoming uh, presidential elections. Florida right. and Ohio especially yeah. ha- hold lots of electoral votes. Right. Yes. And those states have been in play in recent elections. Mm-hmm. Now, both of those mm-hmm. – uh, Florida has actually been trending really closely down the middle, maybe the reddish side of purple. 
Ohio's been a little bit more reliably Republican the last couple right. of elections, but it's the kind of state that a Democrat would need to be competitive in to have a chance of winning the presidency. Mm-hmm. With Republican governors in those seats or those states, it becomes a lot easier for a Republican uh, for Donald Trump to to do well in a reelection right. bid there. Yep, and yeah, and then just also thinking about the redistricting process. I mean, there's an advantage to having you know the. Um, Republicans in the state house, if you're a Republican, right? Um, and you know we will be redistricting between now and the next midterms, right? Because um, the census is up in 2020. So, so I think those are big. Those are big holds for the Republicans. That they held Georgia, they held Florida. Um, I mean, they seem to have held Georgia. It's not for sure yet, but they held Florida and they held Ohio. Um, what I don't know, Andy, and maybe you have a sense of this, is how well uh, the various parties did at the state house level. I know that the Minnesota state house where we live is, has flipped. Right, it flipped to the DFL, yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. And by the way, just for people who aren't in, from Minnesota listening to this, what's the DFL? <laughs> the Democratic Party in Minnesota goes by the Democratic Farmer Labor Party because once upon a time there was a significant third party and um, the Farmer Labor Party and the Democrats merged with them. And so ever until like after... A, until like a super group. Um, yes. So ever after now, the Democratic Party here is, in fact, the DFL, or the Democratic Party. <coughs> so it is kind of a, a fun little Minnesota quirk. Yep. The Republicans we're, are still just we're, the Republicans. We're, we're political party hipsters up here. Yes. We, get, we're, we're, we, were, we were DFLers before we're it was cool. cool. We're so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so we did get a bit, little bit of a, I will say, like, um, blue wave in Minnesota. Now, that's not terribly shocking when you have a blue state um the waves do tend to be blue but um you know we did you know the democrat so the dfl um swept um the state offices despite some speculation they might lose the attorney general race um keith ellison had some issues as a candidate but he still seems to have pulled out a pretty solid victory by three or four points um and does that surprise you you? because he was down substantially in the polls well i mean the problem with that was always that the polls were so first of all pretty much within the margin of error right at the edge of it and there wasn't a lot of polling. I mean, they had only polled a couple times. I mean, so, you know, and, and all those polls had Wardlow below 50% still. There were a lot of undecideds. And so yeah. really what that tells me, I mean, is, you know, like there was people who are out there who were not happy with the choice of Ellison, but they were still, those people, a lot of them were Democrats, and that's the way they tend to lean. And one of the big themes I see in this election is that people went to their partisan leans. And so in terms of thinking about how political science tells us something about this election, um, this is a country that's become increasingly polarized in terms of party identity, in terms of ideological identity sorting into parties. And so in states that are more conservative, we're seeing conservative people being elected. Um, in states that are more liberal, we're seeing more liberal people being elected. And so even when you don't love the local candidate, you don't maybe love Mike Braun in Indiana, you decide, you know what, I'm a conservative Republican. I'm going to vote for him over Joe Donnelly, who might be a, a more attractive candidate. Um, and I think the same thing happens in reverse here in, in Minnesota, right? You might not love Keith Ellison. But if you're in the DFL, um, you you figure figure you're going to get policies you like out of him more than you would out of Doug Wardlow. So I think I think you saw people's partisan identity come into play um, in a lot of states. Like the states are not being very surprising, right? And like the one place Democrats have won in the Senate is you know Nevada, right? Which again, that race looks a ton like Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump in 2016, right? Really pretty close, but a slight edge to the Democrats, right? Um, and Missouri flipped the Republicans. Again, that looked a lot like the presidential, right? Claire McCaskill had won there twice, but she lost this time around. Um, and that makes sense, given where Missouri has been trending um, sort of in a partisan way. Yeah. Mitch, is this evidence of the political science theory of the big sort? Um, yeah, probably to some degree, yeah. Um, essentially, you can see 
uh, more and more uh, in, uh, urban districts trending towards Democrats and mm-hmm. more and more suburban. Well, and, and actually suburban districts actually trending Democratic as well, but then rural districts tending mm-hmm. more and more towards mm-hmm. Uh, Republicans, and right. you can also see that with states. I mean, the states are much more consistently now, and after this election, mm-hmm. with uh, High Camp Donnelly um, and such, right? You see this um, trend yep. towards just you go with your partisanship, and if your state tends to be more more rural, then you will you will have Republicans, and it'll be more overall Republicans. And if your state tends more Democratic, like here in Minnesota, you will see almost all Democrats, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, which is what mm-hmm. we which is what we see right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Except in two rural areas in Minnesota, we got Republican flips. Right. Yep. That's mm-hmm. that is true. Um, so yeah, I mean, so they're 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 odd. Um, yeah, they're always going to be oddities, but but in general, kind of the trend seems to be, uh, you know, in this in this direction. Um, and one of the things one of the things to see too, and I think this gets you know, I don't know if we want to jump to exit polling yet, but we can also see this in the exit polls too. I mean, mm. the rural urban divide um, has become a major mm-hmm. um, factor, and uh, you can really see uh, you know a lot of a lot you know basically if you look at if you, uh, so just just as a quick thing, right? So of the voters uh, that were polled, basically thirty two percent say they lived in an urban area, fifty one percent suburban, and then seventeen mm. percent rural. And uh, suburban was pretty much divided, so fifty basically fifty fifty. Uh, urban went overwhelmingly to Democrats, so sixty five percent, and rural went almost uh, you know as strongly to Republicans. So about well maybe not quite as strong. Fifty six percent of rural went to Republicans. So you know, but you mm-hmm. definitely see that as a as a major uh, you know split point at this point. And it used you know what's interesting is this is kind of completing. A, com- a flip, right? It used mm-hmm. to be the opposite. Mm-hmm. It used to be the reverse. That essentially Democrats would dominate in rural areas, right. and Republicans were much stronger in urban areas where you had more business and right. um, type interests. Sorry, Sam. Look like you were going to say <clears throat> something. No, I, I have a, a question about. Um, so this is the non-political scientist asking a question. I'm listening to people <laughs> who do political science. Uh, one of the things they were talking about on uh, the 5:38 kind of wrap-up podcast from last night slash this morning was the uh, the numbers on the national house popular vote mm-hmm. um, and they were debating whether we what did that say about um, this as a what kind of wave if it was a wave at all nationally because they were mm-hmm. actually comparing it to other years right. um, mm-hmm. other midterms and other years where right. People talked more about perhaps a uh, bit of a blue drizzle, right? About something similar, <laughs> but they said like the how, and I could be wrong on this, but they said that the House popular vote was actually uh, really democratic. Like mm-hmm. like the, mm-hmm. those margins were bigger than other years where we've right. thought more about waves. Mm-hmm. How significant of a factor is that, or, or significant of a data point is that? I guess. So part of what part of what that's going to be a result of is you're going to have folks who are. In Democratic districts are and where you sort of see the enthusiasm uh, is going to be in districts where you essentially have you know what we might think of as sort of wasted votes. Right, right, right. Um, so you're going to see a lot yeah. more folks who say, for example, are in a really really safe seat. Say, for example, like in New York mm-hmm. or California mm-hmm. or things like that, and they want to get out to vote, particularly because they want to cast a protest mm-hmm. vote against President Trump. And so you see more voters. Um, but that doesn't always translate then into flipped seats. No, I understand um, that, but but I mean as a data got, as a data point to say where is the country at is mm-hmm. that a helpful yeah. data point or it, it's helpful. Let me, it's helpful. Let, me, yeah. let me try and answer it this way. So um, one of the things that five thirty eight looks at, and I think this is a a useful way to consider, though I, I don't think it's as useful as they made it out to be, is they looked at uh, 
two kinds of competitive districts. Looked at, at districts that went for uh, Mitt Romney mm-hmm. and then voted for Hillary Clinton. Of which, uh, so these are mm-hmm. these are districts in, in theory that are trending towards Democrats, and then looked at the opposite districts that went for Barack Obama, but then voted for Donald Trump. And so okay. these are districts that are tending towards Republicans, and what they found was that dist- this is this sh- this is sort of that Captain Obvious sort of statement: districts that are tending Republican, the, the Obama Trump districts, tended to be safer and tended to yield more victories mm-hmm. for Republican candidates. Those districts that went for um, uh, Mitt Romney and then Hillary Clinton overwhelmingly switched to mm-hmm. Democrats in this election, and yeah. so that to me is is, is evidence a of, of of sort of this pre- the predictive power of these elections that elections mm-hmm. aren't two year cycles they're multi year cycles, mm-hmm. and that some of these districts are sorting themselves according to um, to from one party to another. Yes, we didn't see a huge fifty. 50 seat swing in the in the house mm-hmm. we didn't see democrats take control of the senate and yet i would say that this election bodes well for republican chances in 2020 for example or, i'm sorry democratic, democratic chances, chances in yeah. 2020 for mm-hmm. example mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. um a nine point uh, overall generic ballot victory mm-hmm. is significant and will be a difficult thing f- will, will provide an impediment for an incumbent president incumbent presidents mm-hmm. have huge advantages in re-election and this yep. presents a significant roadblock that Donald Trump is going to have to have to have to figure out in his reelection bid. Yep. Yeah, I think that's true, and I think it, so. It does show something about that enthusiasm. The other side of that is that we are still a federal system, and you still win the presidency by winning state by state, right? Donald mm-hmm. Trump lost the popular vote by quite a lot mm-hmm. in 2016, right, and still won the presidency, right? And so the the key is going to be right again getting those votes in the right places. I mean, Hillary right. Clinton got a lot of popular votes in California. But you can only win California once, right? right. You get all 55 yeah. votes, and that's big. Um, but you get those 55 if you win by two million or 200,000, right? And so mm-hmm. um, that's the you know that's the problem the Democrats are going to run into. I think is yeah. they they have to figure out how to get back on track, especially I think in this area, actually in the Midwest, right? Um, by you know sort of getting the votes in the right places. Um, and I think the reviews on whether they're doing that right now are, can be mixed. Um, in like you know they won. For example, the Senate seat in Wisconsin pretty handily, but the governorship looks like it's going to narrowly go to the Democrats. But that state is still pretty tight, right? So you right. can say that might still be in play. Um, Michigan Senate was closer than expected, right? Ohio governorship went pretty comfortably to the Republicans, right? So, um, but I think their Senate seat went pretty comfortably to the Democrats. That went pretty comfortably to the Democrats, right? So, so it'll be, you know, I think it's going to be interesting in in twenty twenty twenty. So it's, yeah, it's hard to say how much it, it says at this point. Um, and, you know, again, the president's going to run against this House now for the next two years, I would expect. I, I would say, that that just to present a slightly rosier picture for the Democrats, there was a lot of near misses in this election. Yep. Yeah. Um, so a plus nine didn't translate into victories across the board, but it meant that Ted Cruz only won his reelection by three points. Right. right. And it meant that right. Stacey yep. Abrams nearly won in Georgia yep. and that um, Florida was nearly a, became a blue state. At least, at least in certain, at least at the right. Senate and the, and the governorship mm-hmm. levels, mm-hmm. Yeah. and those are places that Donald Trump and a Republican candidate really do need to win. If yep. a Republican mm-hmm. is yep. losing Texas or Florida or Georgia, mm-hmm. they're in deep trouble. Sure. And so, this suggests that moving forward, there's there's potential for Democrats to make inroads in the South. Right. So, can I can I yeah. actually ask like a histor- historical elections question here a little bit? Mm-hmm. Um, so, what you just said makes it's like the they're sort of uh, gaining ground in some of those places, right? Um, 
do we tend to see historically that that's that, that that's a sign of things in the way I'll, I'll make a terrible football analogy. Like if your team makes the NFC championship game, it's like, okay, that then the next year we make the leap and we make it to the Super Bowl. Like, right. like, like if you look at near misses and do they, do near misses have a tendency to turn into something going forward or are they just a blip of like, is that just kind of loser talk for you? you didn't win? So we're trying to say, well, we got close though. I think it's the fact that those, that these things all kind of run in the same direction. Mm-hmm. If Beto O'Rourke had done really well and closed within three points of Ted Cruz, but Stacey Abrams lost in a blowout or um, the Florida races were blowouts, then I'd say, well, maybe this is a Beto blip. Okay. Um, but but are these things only meaningful like 10 years from now will be like, oh, that was that was meaningful or yeah. that wasn't meaningful. We only yeah. know then. Yeah, well, we won't know until after 2020. Okay. So we yeah. shouldn't put... I guess what I'm asking you is should we? how much value should we put in what we can learn from that, or are we just saying let's tuck this away and come back in ten years and find out? So, well, it's it's a little bit more tuck it away. Although I think, and this again is to sort of give a slightly rosier picture to Democrats. I think for 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 last night, I think is to say what what we've seen here is, and again, this kind of goes back to the big sort thesis, um, is that. Democrats to some degree maybe have more glimmers of hope in certain areas. Um, so, for example, as we see trends and suburban mm-hmm. among suburban folks and urban folks, those populations are growing. And so especially in states that are now sort of on the edge, if that trend mm-hmm. continues for mm-hmm. another two years, right. you might say, oh, Florida was like razor thin. Which direction do we think we're going to go, especially in the era of Trump, where Trump continues to sort of mm-hmm. cause Republicans to lose more and more suburban and urban voters? Right. Um, what do we expect to happen there? Well, what we expect to happen is for that election next time around to be more favorable to Democrats. So in that mm-hmm. way, it's sort of rosy. And in the same way, you can look at Georgia and you can yeah. say, well, as that state, you know, as you continue to think, if, if Republicans continue to hemorrhage, well, maybe hemorrhage is too strong, but they mm-hmm. continue to shed suburban and, uh, you know, voters, mm-hmm. where does that look, what does that look like to, after two more years of that, right? Mm-hmm. So you sort of see those trends and that's where you can sort of say, yeah, you didn't win this time, but it sure looks like you're sort of headed in that direction and particularly with the way things are going, Next mm-hmm. time around, you may, you know, next roll the dice, you might get a different slightly, you know, you might have better odds. So, so wanna, what, uh, can I ask one, one more please, question? Go for it. So what does, for someone like, like Beto O'Rourke, who had uh, some national celebrity out of this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, He's what so is, dreamy. Well, what is the, what is the, <laughs> what is the effect of losing, though? Like, does, does this, and again, I'm thinking historically, like, like does that... Um, bode poorly for him, or is that just like, oh, everybody has those things where like they run and lose, but that gives them uh, a name. Like, mm-hmm. is his name now associated with the guy who didn't win, or is it like this guy's on the rise? I, and, I, and that's a narrative question. That's a great question. Yeah. I think for him, he's going to be put forward as a standard bearer for the Democratic Party, even though and he I didn't think, win. And, Brent, and this is something that Andy said last night, so I should I throw this over to Andy actually? But um, Go ahead. he's. Uh, he, he, there really is nowhere else for him to go in Texas. Mm-hmm. He's an attractive candidate. He raised a bajillion dollars for that race. And he ran into a relatively red state and an incumbent mm-hmm. senator in Ted Cruz. And he almost beat him. Mm-hmm. And so because there's nowhere else for him to run in Texas, his next stop probably is national office. Is, is there a historical analog for that? Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> But I would go with a less, a less optimistic historical analog. I mean, he looks a lot to me like John Edwards, right? A guy who won That's in the red state, call, yeah. um, <laughs> who was successful there but was too, probably too liberal for his state. 
and try to jump yeah. nationally. And then the problem you run into is you're lightly experienced, and yep. so you got to persuade people. You could imagine a John Edwards having succeeded at certain historical moments. You could imagine Beto O'Rourke succeeding in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, the more likely thing is he ends up being a sort of lightweight um, who doesn't quite get into the final rounds, right? Um, I think that's yeah. that's the more likely. I love the but. continuum of somewhere between John Edwards and <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. There's no, there's no continuum. It's one of those. It's bivariate. Oh, okay. one of those two things. It's either Abraham Lincoln yes. or he's John Edwards. <laughs> and, and, we don't know, and we don't know which one. And we'll know that in 10 years. <laughs> All right. We'll come back. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's... I think the other thing, I, I'm, and I'm being the contrarian here on the your rosier outlooks for the Democrats, <laughs> but I think the other way you can spin Texas, Georgia, Florida is the Republicans won despite putting forward really not very attractive candidates. I mean, you mm-hmm. can make the case that mm-hmm. Ted Cruz, Brian Kemp, and Ron DeSantis are all kind of like, they're, they're guys you don't just feel like, mm-hmm. wow, I really like this guy. There's, there's a reason to be drawn in. Um, like, I mean, if, if you're into the hardcore position on the right, then okay, sure, they're warriors for that, right? But but if you're if you're trying if you're somebody in the middle who just wants to be like somebody woo me with your personality, like these are not your candidates, right? right. Um, and yet and yet the Republicans held on to those seats, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think that when you think about it like that, right? You say, wow, you could imagine now naming somebody who's got a little more personal charm, right? Um, who might actually be able to attract some independence, and you could actually widen that that gap. And so I think that's. That's the other way you you could read that is that this could go, um, this could actually be a much rosier picture. This could be a high point blip for the Democrats, right? Like actually I mean, receding, right. and they just right. lost a Senate right. seat that you know Bill Nelson was a three term senator, right? Yeah. He, he apparently has been defeated. At the very best, he's got he's going to win a very very close recount, but it looks like Rick Scott has a lead that's going to send him to the U.S. Senate, right? So, um, in and, that da- sense, and Donald Trump running in twenty twenty may have coattails that would actually propel Demi- Republican candidates right. further in the South. And let's, I mean, I would say you know like. In many ways, you could say Donald Trump is a more attractive candidate, right, than Ron DeSantis was, right? So um, he's at least more charismatic. He's certainly more charismatic, right? He's certainly more interesting, right? I mean, so um, you know, in that sense, like I would actually th- sort of tentatively think Donald Trump would be in a better position than DeSantis, and DeSantis still won by a point. Yeah, I want to talk about um, one other uh, exit polling matter, yeah. and I get your get your opinion on this, Mitch. Yeah. Uh, as political scientists, we love our appellations. <laughs> we love the Appalachians too, the Appalachians. <laughs> but I mean, uh, we love giving our names to certain segments of the electorate. Uh, for example, can I commend to you? I don't know if you guys have seen this yet. In the recent, most recent issue of of PS, uh, there's an article by Diana Mutz on latte drinking liberals. Well, As it turns out, great. liberals do in fact drink more lattes than conservatives, Wonderful. and she sets out to figure out why that's the case. And <laughs> wow. it's ama- I love it; it's amazing. I I can't recommend it enough. I uh, look that up. But um, if we flash back to elections uh, during the Bush administration, to mm-hmm. to uh, to Bush versus uh, Bush versus Gore, and then Bush versus Kerry, we heard a lot about soccer moms. And then, do you remember? Do you remember the sequel to Soccer Moms? The follow-up to Soccer Moms were the next election and under uh, Bush Kerry. It was NASCAR dads. Uh, or NASCAR dads. NASCAR dads. And then it was security moms. Security moms. Yeah. Right. Okay. So all that to say, there was this sense that there are these sort of uh, demographics that that were being that were the Mm -hmm. the contest point between the parties. It seems like that's receding in certain kinds of ways. What we saw, the only group that overwhelmingly voted for Republicans in this uh, this midterm election were white men. Right. Uh, and if we, we we can throw education in there and sort of things, but if we just look at race and gender, white mm-hmm. men overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly went for uh, Republicans. White women 
split 49-49 wow. between uh, Republicans and Democrats. Mm-hmm. Every other group, so every every gr- a group of color, um, men and women, went largely for Democrats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which raises this question, and by the way, this was a trend that that began under uh, the 2016 election and didn't exist prior to the 2016 election. So, are we seeing is this an artifact of the Donald Trump presidency, or are we seeing a permanent move of women away from the Republican Party? Uh, I think it's hard to like separate those two things. Actually, um, in some mm-hmm. ways, I mean the sort of the sort of sort of, sort of the desire to uh, to make Donald Trump the candidate of the Republican Party, I think in some ways is, um, was itself, uh, I'd, I'd have to actually go back and look at the numbers, but if I, if I remember correctly from all the stuff in 2016 in the primaries, it was, you know, there were, there were a lot of Republican women who were worried about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so he was more, he was much popular amongst men, even amongst the, even in the Republican Party. Right. And so I think to some degree, what we're seeing is this move, um, is 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 that this? It's sort of hard to disentangle Trump, um, Trump's own movement of the party um, towards men from uh, sort of a more general thing. So, mm-hmm. um, so I think what we can say is that the Republican Party is definitely trending in that direction towards more appeal, particularly to white men, and the Democratic Party particularly is seems to be benefiting from that um, in terms of attracting white, you know, particularly white women, and then also. Mm-hmm. Um, just women in general. Um, so yeah, and I think it's hard. I think it's going to be hard to disentangle that from um, from from the Trump effect itself. Um, mm-hmm. So, but yeah, but I think that's I think that's definitely something something that's there. And I think I think, but on the other hand, I think what's what complicates um, things is you know you is 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 essentially once again i mean there are certain trends that are always going to sort of be fighting this and so Mm -hmm. once again i mean you know the rural urban divide i know we keep talking about it you know but once again i mean that plays a significant role as well you know if you are a rural uh white woman you are still very likely to be republican and um and to vote for republicans and so Mm -hmm. you know these things kind of interact with each other in odd ways but yeah as a general trend you know the republicans are seem to be losing women um, and the Democrats seem to be picking them up. Yeah. Right. But it's, but it's still we should emphasize I mean this is happening at the edges, right? I mean like 49-49 right. yep. is not a dramatic split, right? right. Um, in, among like white women for example that still tells you there are a ton of white women who are supporting um, the Republican Party, right? right? And so I would and we can I would actually I'm, I'm skeptical about the gender gap in this sense. Like not that it's not happening, it is. I just don't know that it's the most useful thing to focus on. I think it gets more press than it probably deserves. I think the the uh, ideological polarization and the sorting into parties is more important. I think the urban-rural divide is more important. Uh, I think that those things tend to shape how women and men vote, and I think they tend to dominate more over gender issues. So I think the gender issues do matter at the edges, but um, but I think those end up being more yeah. a result of sort of what particular context you're in. Right. Um, and so you know that that then shapes whether you define yourself by gender, and if you were find yourself in that way it has a lot to do with the fact that you are in a you know an urban area and you're thinking about things in a particular right. way well and the, and the other thing too and i think this is where you get sort of inter- interesting interactions right is is there's also a big difference and, and again i can't say for this particular election but i know that in the past there's a big difference between um women in terms of whether they're married or not mm-hmm. um yep. so when women uh, so women who are unmarried 
uh, are much more likely to uh, tend towards Democrats mm -hmm. and in fact are seem to be pushed more and more that direction whereas married women are much more likely to be you know to be to be the, to right. be Republican and so yeah. um, and so in that way you can sort of see again it's it's hard and this I think it's gets to Andy's point as well, right? It's hard to sort of disentangle some of these other factors when you're looking at the gender gap. Um, mm -hmm. Oftentimes there are other things that, 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 that are going on there that are also impacting what's going on. But nonetheless, I think there is definitely a trend. It's, it's, it's there. It's obvious. Mm -hmm. I think the most striking one, right, is when you look at, in particular, men, of course, when you look at mm -hmm. white men, right, are, you know, basically, uh, you know, break very heavily in favor of the Republicans. So, right. yeah. Um, and I should just throw in there, too, if, if you're interested in these kinds of studies and these demographic factors and the splits that they reveal in, in mm -hmm. American politics, take a look also at education. Mm -hmm. Yep. yep, yep, the, yep. Uh, w uh, if we're looking at just white women, white women without a college degree largely voted for Republicans. White women mm -hmm. with a college degree largely voted for Democrats. Right. And although white men overwhelmingly went for Republicans, the group that uh, what causes white men to move towards the Democratic side right. is higher levels of education. Yeah, and just in general, I mean, the higher level of education you have, the more you're trending that direction. Right. Yeah. So, so <clears throat> we're getting close to uh, when we need to wrap up, but I want to mm -hmm. ask a question uh, again, as a uh, as more of a political novice than the other people in the room. Um, so now that the election's over, is this the uh, are we done with politics now? Or like like I, yes. I mean I mean that <laughs> I mean that as a joke, but like like what are the things that if I'm continuing to follow politics past the midterm, like. In the next uh, couple of months, what are the things I should be looking for? Beto 2020. <laughs> wow. Please <laughs> tell me it's not 2020 is the oh, next thing. No, 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 no. Well, it is 2020. In some ways yeah, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, um, no, the things to look for is who's... We're ramping up the presidential. Yeah, now. it's ramping up the presidential election. And what you'll start to hear is, the, is two things. One, uh, the whisper campaigns. Yep. So um, people who are thinking about running... Don't necessarily just step out and say, I'm running for president. In fact, they probably do the opposite, which is very disingenuous, but they'll deny it first. Mm -hmm. oh, I'm not right. planning yeah. that right now. But they have surrogates who are putting out feelers. And those feelers, frankly, are not for you and me. Uh, they're for the media. And they're, they're trying to test buzz. And they're trying to test enthusiasm of major donors. Yep. So if Beto probably would... Although he probably says, I'm not thinking about the presidency right now at all. I just lost this, you know, this a seat in Texas, and I'm interested in thinking about what my next role here is in the state of Texas. Yep. Yep. But at the same time, he's trying to figure out are there national Republican or national Democratic donors who would want to give to a Beto 2020 campaign? Yep. Yep. So you maybe just answered my question, but I want to ask it again. Okay. Um, because <laughs> I think, and I could be wrong, I think you answered. What's next if we're looking at elections? What's yeah. next if we're looking at American politics? Is it really who's running for president in 2020 yeah. is the next thing we should be looking right, at? Right. Well, well, oh, I'm sorry. Let me throw this in then, I'll th uh, Mitch. Uh, I think that there's a likely scenario and an unlikely scenario. The likely scenario is two years of legislative intractability uh, in, in Congress in the okay. United States. Mm -hmm. That the that Nancy Pelosi will, will become Speaker of the House. Mm -hmm. I think that that's likely. Yeah. And that she sure. uh, will essentially curtail any legislative action on the part of the Trump administration. I think if I was, gonna, if I was a betting person, I would say that there's an 80% chance of that happening. There's a 20% chance that Donald Trump will slide to the left, particularly on sort of public spending kinds of issues mm -hmm. you know he was flirted with the idea of major uh, spending on infrastructure development things like right. that and i could imagine a nancy pelosi led democratic house 
wanting to support the president on a spending package for bridge construction and road construction right. and things like right. that. But in but and so there's a possibility that he does a version of a Bill Clinton triangulation strategy and tries to co-opt Democrats on certain issues. But mm-hmm. given this president and given the the state the mood of the country, I think that's very unlikely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the yeah. base of the party would put up with it a lot less than maybe the Republicans would did in the 90s and I think um Donald Trump doesn't have Bill Clinton's skills um, politically. So, yeah, yeah I, I would be surprised to see that that outcome. I mean, I think the other thing politically you should look for is um, the Democrats now will have control of the House. They will use that power to investigate. Um, and so I think we should we should prepare for a lot of investigations. We should see Mueller. Mueller will probably have, be coming out with more stuff now. I mean, he's been very quiet leading up to the election. Um, the expectation has been that he has more to reveal and that that will start coming out in the next month or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you should expect the House Democrats to use their power to pursue questions um, that, you know, to subpoena people, to possibly try to get a hold of the president's tax returns, and to try to figure out what is going on with these questions that, you know, they feel have not been investigated anywhere close to in an adequate way, right? Um, and so I think that's, I mean, politically, that's the kind of thing we should be bracing for more than actual legislative action to pass laws and, you know, yeah. govern. Okay, so here's the question I want to maybe get us out on. Um, we're pro- we'll probably do a couple ESTs in you know if, through the the end of 2020. Yeah. I'm sure there'll be uh, 2018. Tw- or, or, excuse me, 2018. <laughs> I was like, we'll yes. do more than a couple through 2020. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 we'll have our special Christmas episode. Yeah, I, I'm oh, sure. Yeah. I'm sure that we'll have <laughs> one that will sing for us. Right. Right. Great. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure that we'll have one that's titled like Whispers of 2020 or something. Right. <laughs> the winds of winter. Right. <laughs> what I want to know. So I'm gonna be I'm gonna be gone in January. Some pres- or for most of January. Right. So I'm presuming we're not gonna be uh, recording something while I'm gone. We're actually you to be a far foreign correspondent, right? <laughs> so, so when I get back and and it's February, I want you to predict what is going to be an episode title for f- uh, somewhere between February and May. Mm-hmm. Pre- predict an episode title for like what do you think we're going to be talking about? Some something this spring. Have you gotten your subpoena yet? <laughs> <laughs> I was I was going to say um, surprise resignation. I think we're going to see a major Ooh. cabinet official depart from their position between now and then. If my my money's on Jim Mattis, yeah, uh, right. but I think there'll be at least somebody. And if we're, and how far out can I go in this prediction? Uh, through the end of May. Yeah, that's my that's my hunch. If you okay. had said through nineteen, I would have said Supreme Court nominee. Okay, mm-hmm. really? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, who's? Do you know something? I just <laughs> there's just enough old people. The, the on longer there. we go, the yeah. likelihood that one of the elderly members of the Supreme Court does not persist. So Right, because they get a better job offer. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's let's be positive, right? Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's yeah, good. I can see RBG touring with the Stones. Yeah, okay. sure. Yeah, yeah. she's thinking yeah. about you know maybe a uh, musical. Mitch, what's your prediction? Uh, go, going off of what we already said, I think one of the w- one of the things we should look for is that there will be some there will be some kind of bomb that will drop in terms of uh, metaphorical well, or literal. Metaphorical, oh, metaphorical. Thank you. Yes, a metaphorical bomb uh, in terms in terms of some some revelation about the administration. Um, I, it's hard to predict exactly whether that's Mueller <laughs> or whether that's Trump's tax returns and we find yeah. out that indeed the New York Times was correct and his family has been involved in, you know, absolutely, you know, rampant tax fraud and <laughs> other yeah. problems. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, one, something like that will, 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 will come out or, yeah, right. um, you know, so, um, yeah, I'm predicting that. That makes sense. Yeah. 
one thing one thing that we didn't talk about if i can i know we're wanting to wrap up here yep. but this one, is the last word oh is this the last word well this maybe i it. shouldn't tackle this is the last word i was just gonna say there's a lot Te- of talk tease it for next time tease it, tease it for tease next it. time okay tease it for next time there was a lot of talk leading up to this election that maybe there was going to be increased turnout by young people mm-hmm. um and i would just want to say that having now looked at the stuff that is really fizzled um mm. young people did not turn out <laughs> um and so basically uh just according to the exit polls about 13 percent of the folks who voted um, we're, we're in the 18 to 29 category. Um, and in fact, if you look back at like 2010, for example, um, the under 30 category made up about 19% of the voters. Wow. So this is significantly lower, actually, than in some past um, midterm elections. That's noting the fact that mi- the overall turnout was way up. Right. Yep. Mid- yep. Overall turnout is up. Young people turn out down. Yep. So um, so that's, it, to some degree, as people who are here, as somebody who's in you know this business, that's disappointing, you know, mm-hmm. in, in, in our attempts to sort of fire yep. up. Students, and of course, perhaps those in this vicinity did go and vote, but, um, you know, in general, uh, you know, they did not. So. Yep. Interesting. Well, that means we have some work to do, guys. That's right. All right. On behalf of my colleagues here at Bethel University, thank you for listening to us. You can always email us at electionshocktherapy at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'll be back in your feed sometime soon, probably next week, uh, with another, uh, with a little bit more uh, digested take on the midterm elections, and let's, let's look forward to it. Um, thanks for listening, and go Royals. Thank you.